Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. These white people are the Redneck Revolt. Now, they aren't a bunch of rednecks revolting against equality like I first thought. They're actually rednecks revolting against the rednecks who are revolting against equality. I'll explain. Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. My name's Matt Wilstein, and I'm a senior writer at The Daily Beast. This week on the show, a comedian I've had the pleasure of interviewing a bunch of times in the past and was super excited to get in our L.A. studio, W. Kamau Bell. Kamau came down here from Berkeley to talk about, among other things, the fourth season of his show, United Shades of America, which is currently airing on CNN. He told me what it's like to travel to all corners of the U.S. with Trump as president and shared his thoughts about the continued lack of diversity in late-night TV six years after his previous show, Totally Biased, was canceled. I can't wait to share our lively conversation with you, so let's get right to it. This is The Last Laugh with today's guest, W. Kamau Bell. Kamau, thank you uh, for for making the trip down uh, from from the Bay Area. Well, thank you for letting me bully you into putting me on your yeah, podcast. Yeah, I think I think you're probably the first and and only uh, comic to uh, to reach out to me directly on Twitter requesting to to be a guest. So uh, so thank you for that. Really, that makes me feel like people aren't doing their jobs. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me comics, too. comics not wanting attention. Comics <laughs> not wanting to talk on podcasts. Isn't that what we do? Yeah. So yeah, United Shades of America is back on uh, on CNN for season four. Season I four. can't really believe it's it's season four already. Can you? <laughs> I mean, I, I I can feel every episode in my bones, so I do believe it's season yeah. four. But I do understand <laughs> I do understand that people. It seems like it's not season four because it's only eight episodes a season, and also it feels like it's gone for a long time when it's gone. So people have no real sense of how long it's been. So people are like yeah. you're fine. Where have you been? Well, it's been exactly a year since I was on last time. <laughs> but and also the rate of the news is this, that it feels like if you know. If you don't hear from somebody for two months, you feel like it's been like five years. Yeah, I mean, when we we first talked about this show, uh, I think right around when it was launching in 2016, that was obviously a lot has changed uh, since then. <laughs> yep. Um, how has the how has doing the show changed uh, in that time, um, and specifically, you know, after in in this uh, Trump uh, well existence funny. that we're all in. Yeah, that we're all are all of us in it. <laughs> are all of us, whether uh, we like it or not. Yeah, we're 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 experiencing it. Uh, so you know, I always said like, well, after we did, got to the second season after Trump was elected, I always said I felt like the first season was like the mixtape, and the second season was like the album. Mm, you know, yeah. and so I think that we've just gotten it. It feels like the show is very clear, and also I hear from people all the time about what they expect from the show or what they get from the show. So a lot of the show especially this season, is based on like feedback from random people in airports. Mm. Things that they liked about the show or things that they, they, that, they that the show means to them. I was talking to, to the people at CNN about it. I was like, there's three versions of the show. There's the version of the, there's the thing I think the show is. There's the thing that CNN thinks the show is. And then there's this audience that, run, that people at airports who tell me what they think it is. So I think for this season, I was really listening to the audience because I get a lot of direct feedback. Can you break down the difference between what you think it is and what CNN thinks it is? Uh, I mean, I think, uh, yes, <laughs> without getting in, without getting fired or canceled. <laughs> no, I mean, I really feel like, uh, how would I put, like, 
I think I think you could send us to anywhere on the planet and just let us film, and we're gonna find the big. We're gonna find a big story there. Mm -hmm. I think every place has its big story. I don't really think that we have to have. You know, I don't really think that. Sometimes there's a sort of a focus. Like CNN wants to sort of know exactly what every episode is going to be about, and I'm of the belief that like we can get there and we'll figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. and that that the show can have a broader uh mission than just like we hit, we're hitting one issue a week or one issue an episode so sometimes i'm like well just send us to new orleans <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> that sounds and, fun and they're like no <laughs> like, but we'll we'll fake we'll talk about katrina we'll talk about some things but i think they want the show to be more narrowly focused which sort of like which is fine because i think it's it's good to have limits you know if you have no limits then you sort of then you have no function or form sometimes so so for me, and then the audience is like, you need to come do a show about my neighborhood because shit has hit the fan in my neighborhood. Like they think it's like the news kind of. You yeah. Know? Like they really think of it's like, you know, or you need to do a show about this particular high school. You know what I mean? Like, it, and it doesn't really work that way. Like mm -hmm. we may do a sh in a, or you need to do a show about, you know, really specific things that are like, we don't, we're not exactly like going to just cover like one tiny not tiny but just one hyper focused issue we're always gonna have to have a big picture look at things so i from people they like they think it's like a they think it's the news basically have has there been one uh someone that's come up to you in an airport and said do this and then you did well on twitter last season we had the episode about the sick community or the sick religion and that was based on a tweet that somebody sent to me that's mm -hmm. why i learned to send tweets to you because he yeah, was yeah. like we i think he sent it <laughs> uh my name harpreet singh we i think it was during an episode about muslims he's like that's a great episode you should do one about the sikh religion i was like okay so that that literally happened that way and then a lot of times you know um i'm trying to think in airports has there been anybody in it no mostly in airports i hear about what people think like how the show impacts their lives i hear a lot of families watch it together uh, I hear a lot about which episodes were their favorites. I hear the words Ku Klux Klan a lot, uh, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is like well, that was your first. Ever that was episode, the very first. Right? I'm still yeah. hearing about that episode. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like and about how, and then I hear a lot of like, you keep doing it. You got to keep it up. Like people, there's this sense for the people who like it that it's doing something that no, that no other show is doing. So you know, not that that's true, but that's how I feel. That's how I, that's the message I get. And then on the flip side, there's a moment in the new season where someone uh, screams at CNN sucks and uh, fuck CNN at you on, on the street. I yeah. believe is that in Seattle? Or, that's, in, uh, that's in Seattle. It's in downtown. Um, yeah, Seattle. It's just funny. That's in Seattle. It's not in yeah. wherever you would think it'd be in America. Yeah. It's in Seattle. Yeah. And why did you decide to keep that in the in the episode? Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of like not believing in the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. So I'm just I'm always trying to put more and more of the things that are sort of like about the show or about the filming of the show, or also think, or also to show that it's a like I like the show when it's more rough and ragged. And so for me, like, and also as a comedian, any, any spontaneous moments or comedy are like my mm -hmm. favorite thing. So to me, it was hilarious that that guy in the middle of us filming knew who I was, knew what we were doing. And then the the fact that it was funny, he was like fuck CNN as he kept walking away. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, this guy's not really about that life. So I can keep talking. <laughs> like I can, yeah. I can keep sort of screaming. Okay, thank you, sir. Like it was really <laughs> like nice sweater. Like it was just to me. I, I don't. I think the show to me the, the version of the show that I do like because you know Lisa Ling has a show on CNN. There are other shows on CNN. I have to lean into the parts that I feel like are best for me. Otherwise, they maybe they all start to look the same. Like Lisa Ling's probably not going to leave the fuck CNN moment in the show. Yeah, and I'm sure it's happened at some point. But for <laughs> me, I'm like whenever things happen that weren't to the plan, I get excited. So yeah, I think, and also I think I, it's important for me to know that I'm a real person. So I'm not just some sort of person on TV talking. Like I'm a real person, and that's the moment of like I'm a real person. This guy's yelling at me because he does the thing that you're watching right now. He hates. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was funny to see that happen to you because I mean, we see you know people like. Uh, you know Jim Acosta and some yeah. of these other new, really, you know, hard news people 
we know they're getting harassed like this yeah. all the time yeah. at the events, but you kind of wouldn't think it would be happening to you because what you're doing is so different from what, <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's um, a, they're, they're responding to the brand, not necessarily. Yeah. Like, and also, I mean, I, we cut those moments out. Like, that, we, we sometimes, like, I think there was another one in a different episode that was that was fuck CNN and they, CNN was like basically like or not honestly but there was sort of this sense of like you only have one of those <laughs> <laughs> you're like and every like, episode can't have fuck yeah, CNN but it just so happened that we were in Philly and somebody said like yeah. it was this was this one was actually funnier I think because this woman came to, she was really upset about what we were talking about and she wasn't in the interview but she was just, it was in the episode in Philly about uh, toxic environments about lead poisoning mm-hmm. and she was like very much agree with the fact that we needed to be talking about lead poisoning you guys didn't have the whole story like we were I was talking to one guy and she was just like in her house and came outside and started yelling at us mm-hmm. but in agreement you're right that's true we need to do and she's like who are you with and I was like S-. and I knew the way she yeah. said like this isn't going to be good it's like <laughs> CNN she's like oh and I was like, but I wish I liked that more but we picked our fuck CNN moment yeah yeah um, so what have you what have you learned over these four seasons of shooting the show in terms of um, talking to to strangers, especially people you don't agree with, because that's a lot of what you do on mm-hmm. the show, and it's something that most people I think are not doing in their own lives is going out and seeking out people who they disagree with and having conversations with them. So what have, what have you learned about you know yourself and um, and how to do that? Um, despite what maybe my wife would think, I'm a really good listener. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a, I'm a really good, like, I don't have to agree to you to listen to you because mm-hmm. I sort of, I think a lot of times it's important, especially when you disagree with somebody to be quiet and let them get all their stuff out because people are so ready to be interrupted when, when they're, when they know they're saying something you don't agree with, they're preparing to be interrupted. And if you interrupt them, then you sort of, it, it very quickly derails the conversation into a battle of who can talk louder or faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it all the time on TV. And so for me, because United Shades, you know, has I have the luxury of time that you don't have in a lot of TV shows. I can let you, I'll let you go for a half hour if that's what you, if you need to get it all out. And then at the end of that half hour, I'll be like, okay, can I say something? And like, I'm sort of like, it, like making sure, did you get it all out? Cause, mm-hmm. and I think it sort of puts people, it sort of makes people more comfortable. And it also makes a better conversation, like not trying to get my, t- like, so usually when people are talking, in the middle of them talking, I'll be like, okay, I need to remember that point. I can't remember that. Like, I'll sort of try to, in my head, catalog the things I want to talk back about. And then at the end of it, go back in. But I think you people get so quick to, like, you know, pretend like it's high school deba- debate, even though they're not really even following the rules of high school debate because you can't interrupt in high school debate. But they mm-hmm. want to pretend like it's, a, like, it's, we, I mean, it's, we see it modeled on TV all the time, like people just sort of yammering at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, you know, obviously the show started at the very beginning with that KKK episode and that with this kind of putting yourself in this dangerous situation in a lot of ways, like mm-hmm. or what could have been a dangerous situation. Are there moments uh, like that in the new season that you, that you felt, uh, I mean, we felt you uncomfortable know, in that same way. Yeah. I mean the, the episode you're talking about in Seattle Tacoma, it, the whole lead up of that episode is that we were going to a, a protest, a, ra- a protest or a rally outside of a Nazi owned tattoo shop in Tacoma, Washington. And there was just all this talk about the layers of security we needed and how, like, do you need to, could this community to wear a bulletproof vest? And like, because mm. these were like people who they felt like definitely were armed and might, it might decide to be violent if they feel like that's their last choice. And so there was just all this, I mean, way more than we did with the Klan. Now, the Klan was also the pilot, so maybe we didn't have the budget for all for bulletproof <laughs> vests. But there was a lot of talk about, like, a really a big, you know, from the production company about, uh, like, like st- meetings about strategy, how to get out, and you're on Kamau, and just grab it, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that one was, in some sense, was more scary than the Klan, because there was a lot more talking about it before we got in there. So that was the one moment this season. And then you'll see in the episode, 
it sort of ends up being like this, like families were there, and it was like mm-hmm. a very, it was a very positive uh, rally at a Nazi-owned tattoo shop. But you also had some some people with guns on on your side, on the protest side yep. uh, there too, which was interesting to see. I mean, what what did you think about that um, that movement? Uh, you can tell tell us what it's called, but the the movement that that kind of embraces uh, guns from a more left uh, um, position. Well, the national movement is the Redneck Revolt. And when you hear that, you think like, I don't think that sounds good at all. <laughs> like, it yeah. sounds like rednecks who are going to revolt against me or people that we th- think should not be revolted against. But it's actually rednecks who are revolting against sort of the idea of red of rednecks. You know, mm-hmm. like there are people who are like I'm from the south. Uh, you know, I'm as country as, as it comes. But I think the ways in which uh, certain people from the south are portraying the south is not is, I'm not in support of as far as like people who are like you know literally Nazis or neo Nazis or the alt right who are sort of claiming that that's what the South is. And so these are the these are like liberal rednecks, you know. And and also if you grew up in the South, whether you voted Obama or or you know or McCain, it's a gun culture. Mm-hmm. You know, Democrats in the South also grew up around guns. It's not like they only let the leave those to the Republicans, you know. So there it's sort of a way for people who are like I grew up with guns, I believe in the second amendment. And but and also and I see how the people who grew up with guns who are who are anti who are racist or homophobic or or anti-semitic and those people show up at these rallies with their guns and a lot of us liberals we don't show up at the rallies with our guns these people in the red ink revolt and also the john brown gun club specifically in tacoma and seattle are like we can show up with our guns to stand up to those people because since we're a white-led organization our skin will protect us in ways that that if you're a black person you show up to a protest with a gun that's not. That's probably not the best way to go about it, you know. Yeah, but then there's just more guns on both sides. Which, there is more, which but seems dangerous. There, you know. <laughs> yes, guns are dangerous. I think we can, that we can stipulate that. I think the thing that I learned from those, like those guys, is like they also believe in, like you know, they I, as somebody who did spend spent time in the South, you know, guns are dangerous. Guns are. I also believe guns are a tool, and I also believe that, like, that I the way they show up to those rallies. They're not showing up to shoot their guns. They're not, they're not hoping for violence. They're showing up to say, we're going to show you that we have guns as a way to hopefully prevent violence. And their track record is pretty good. Mm-hmm. you know. So I'd say that's true. I'm not trying to say that, you know, this This is the thing about this episode. It's called Not All White People. <laughs> like, so it's yeah. like, because I get asked all the time in airports by white people, what do I do? And so we're showing you like a, an assortment of things that white people can do. They're not all get a gun and show up to a Black Lives Matter rally to protect Black Lives Matter a- activists. That's just one of the things. <laughs> but there's also <laughs> other things in that episode to show up you can do. I think it's just the idea of like we have to stop pretending like there's only one way to handle this current era of America. Coming up after the break, W. Kamau Bell on what it's like to be targeted by Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Mother's Day is just around the corner. And it is not easy to find the perfect gift for mom. That's where Skylight comes in. With Mother's Day coming up, there's one gift that thousands of moms have been calling the best gift ever. It's called Skylight, and it's a photo frame you can email photos to, anytime from anywhere. You can set it up in under 60 seconds. Just plug it in, use the touchscreen to connect to your wireless network, and enjoy. Sending photos to Skylight is effortless. Everyone in your family can just email photos to Mom's Skylight, and they'll appear in her home in seconds. It has a black frame, so it looks like a real photo frame that adds a beautiful touch to your home. Skylight Frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos with your finger, and even tap to thank the person who sent a photo. 
and it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code LAUGH. That's right, to get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code LAUGH. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com. Promo code L-A-U-G-H. Another thing I learned about you in this episode that I, I didn't know before is you're a uh, you're a leader of uh, Antifa. Yeah, <laughs> I learned that too from Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you have the clip in the show of him uh, talking about you on his show. Which, yeah. uh, was that flattering, or what? What did oh, you think when you saw fuck that? Fuck him. Kamau Bell is, among other things, a host on CNN. He fronts a show on that channel called United Shades of America. It's run there for two seasons now. Bell calls himself a political provocateur, but that doesn't quite capture it. In fact, he is a supporter of Antifa. On Sunday, Bell showed up at the No Hate in the Bay rally and addressed the crowd with a bullhorn. You remember the event? It's the one where mobs and black masks attacked people they thought might have voted for Donald Trump. Bell offered his encouragement. So when the Nazis leave, as they have left, bye Nazis, bye! Like, so here's it. So that the, that happened right around the time. There was like all these alt-right match marches in Berkeley. And the first time it happened, Berkeley didn't take it that seriously. And it, and and so the alt-right was like, oh, they won't come back another time. And they came back another time and Berkeley st- didn't take it that seriously. And then the third time, like every like sort of anti-racist activist in the surrounding area, including those in Berkeley, showed up and outnumbered. And I was part of that. That's when I went as a way to go. Not to confront, there were fights that broke out, but most people went to just go, we're going to just put our bodies here to show you that we that you're not going to just take over this area. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Um, so I went there with a with Pastor Michael McBride, who's also in our, he's in our megachurch episode. In the premiere, yeah. Yeah, and so I went with him, and, you know, and there was Antifa there, and there was school teachers there, and there was, like, you know, there was farmer's market people there, and there mm-hmm. was, you know, children there, and there's an assortment of people. And the Surge, this is a white privilege organization showing up for racial justice, which is just white people who are anti-racist. And I was, and I, I got on it. Me and my wife got on this truck because they were like, "Come up here, so you can be sort of get out of the crush of the crowd." And and I think the one thing I said, like they gave me a megaphone at one point, and I was like, "This is the Berkeley I believe in. We're all here together, showing up." And I was like, "The Nazis were here, but apparently they left." And I screamed, "Bye Nazis, bye!" <laughs> and then Tucker Carlson clipped out the "Bye Nazis, bye" part as if that's a bad yeah, thing to say. How dare you say <laughs> bye to Nazis? <laughs> Just like what, well, but somehow he manipulated it too. Like I was on this Antifa truck, which maybe it was owned by somebody from Antifa, and then I was somehow a part of Antifa, and Antifa is a hate organization, so therefore W. Kamau Bell pedals hate, and that's fine and good. The funny thing was is like I heard it was going to happen, but what I heard before it aired, uh, Pastor Michael McBride called me and said they want me to come on Tucker Carlson tonight to talk about this, and I was like, well, don't do that. Yeah, and he was ne- like, okay. never do that. But he was like gearing up for like. Okay, I think my life's going to be made significantly worse by the fact that Tucker Carlson is going to target me tonight on his show. And I was like, "Yeah, you're probably right about that." And so we talked about. It. He's like, "So I'm getting my troops together, like not troops, but his people yeah. together, and like, and also security team because he just, you know, he's just a guy who lives in the Bay Area. He's not like some famous rich guy living up on a 
Shiny Hill. So he's like, I got to get ready. And I was like, all right, whatever you need from me, that's fine. Then it aired, and it turned out it was targeting me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pastor McBride called me up like, what do you need, bro? What can you do? Yeah. I was like, I'll be fine. Yeah. And But it did significantly affect my life for about, because he did two segments on me. How did it affect your life? Like there was... Uh, t- like Twitter blew up and you, you're getting more like direct sort of like, you know, like sort of like more frog memes and more mm-hmm. and just more just like direct hate. And I have like my quality filter on Twitter, so I, I'm sure I'm not getting most of it. And just like when it, when your Twitter blows up and people are coming after you, there's this there's this and you want to sort of go back after them. But you realize at some point that you that you can't go back to everybody. And then there was also a side of this that like I was being advised by like people like don't engage with it at all. Like just step away from Twitter. Like because mm-hmm. you don't know who's who and what's what, and you don't want to make this. You don't want to make this worse. And so, but it's also like you know, it also just made me and my wife more paranoid because we were living we, at that point where we were living was right in the middle of the open, and it just felt like, you know, we lived in downtown Berkeley where every night at three o'clock in the morning some crazy guy goes ah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you never know. Whoa, is that a, is that just a crazy guy, or is that like a is that yeah. like a thing? Is that the announcement <laughs> of the attack? You know. Yeah. And so it just made us it for like it it just made us more paranoid. And, and then I had gigs on the road, and suddenly we started talking about getting security for the gigs. And and I remember I did a gig in Arkansas. I think it was around this time. And I got to the airport, and I was picked up by the police and to take into the gig, mm-hmm. and like I, I'd never happened before. And then there was like I met like fifteen cops who were at the gig to like I was like. And this one black cop came up to me, and he was like, um, I really like your work. And I was like, can I ask a question? Do you guys do this all the time, or is this a special case? And he sort of smiled like, ah. Yeah. And I was like, got it, special case. Mm. You know, so it literally, like, it made my, it affected my life in a way that I felt less safe in my world because of what Tucker Carlson did. Because he, you know, he's accusing me of peddling hate, which is, you know, pot calling the kettle Tucker Carlson. Like, that's exactly what his show does is peddling hate. And yeah. and then I you know and then as I talked about it more I heard from lots of people who aren't blue check mark people with TV shows who were like he did that to me and it did make my life worse and I don't and they didn't have a platform to speak for him about it so yeah for me it was like I've and and at the time I was also like CNN is also worried about looking like they're at war with Fox News and so there was also this sort of like this sort of talk to me about like don't don't get into a war with Tucker mm-hmm. Carlson. And I was just like, and I remember saying at the time, okay, I accept that. I have to be quiet. I have to sort of sit here and chew it up now, but I'm going to hold this. <laughs> yeah. I'm a comedian and an only child, so I keep grudges. <laughs> and so I, I sort of was like, was like at some point I'm going to be able to use this in a way that like actually makes me feel like I can resolve it. And so this was, it gets resolved in this episode mm-hmm. of United Shades when I interview a member of Antifa. And uh, we have a wonderful talk about it. Did uh, did Tucker Carlson invite you on his show to? to he to... Would, he would ask. He invited like his people called CNN. Can we have come out mm-hmm. on the show? And they knew that like there's no way CNN. Even if I wanted, yeah, to know, there's no way CNN. They wouldn't. They just it. wouldn't. And I wouldn't. There's no circumstance in which I would do that. I'd rather talk to the clan again. At least they're <laughs> honest. Uh, what do you think about the um, the whole debate over whether? Uh, Democrats should go on Fox News either as guests on shows or, or you know, obviously they, they decided not to do any debates there. Um, but I think there's been some some debate about about that about decision debates. too. Debate yeah. debates. Yeah. <laughs> they should have a debate debate on Fox News. They should have a debate on Fox News about whether or not they should go on Fox News. I, I don't think Fox News is a legitimate news organization. Maybe there's like a Maybe I hear Shepard Smith has a good hour. <laughs> Maybe during that hour it's okay. Yeah. But I don't believe as a whole that they are that they are 
a legitimate news organization in that they're not putting their like every news organization has a bias. I'm not trying to say that like there's un- unbiased news organizations, but I believe that Fox News, especially the nighttime shows, peddle in lies and misinformation and targeting people and mock in sort of like mocking the weak and mocking the afflicted. So I mean that's what they do. So I don't know if I was a, the if I was in charge of the Democratic Party and yes I will I will take that job <laughs> but it pays a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't I would I think you have to take a stand at some point. Now I don't you have to take they need to take a lot more stands, but I don't think I don't know what the what's the percentage in going on Fox News? Like mm-hmm. what's the it's a, what's the what's the what's the what's the best case scenario? Like the worst case scenario is way more likely than the best case scenario. Yeah. But what's the best case scenario? Yeah, I mean the idea I guess is that there's this whole group of people that they're not going to reach in any other way, and so and it, you know they get more viewers than than CNN. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't apologize to me. I'm not responsible for <laughs> uh, uh, hate cells. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You yeah. know. Uh, uh, misinfor- when you when you're not adhering to the facts, it's easy to create good programming. You know? Right. It's, right. It's, you know. So uh, NBC gets more viewers than that because they make a lot of fictional television. Yeah. So and so Fox News is is more of an entertainment channel than they are a news channel. Mm-hmm. Uh because some people like to be entertained by hate. So I don't here's the thing about that. If there was no electoral college, then you maybe go on Fox News because you need to try to get as many votes as possible. Mm-hmm. But the electoral college has created a situation through which this is just like a math problem. Mm-hmm. Like it's not real. It's like how do we? It's like a stra- It's more of a strategy than a problem than it is like an actual. Like we need to get all the votes possible. So I don't think that like I think there's way better ways to get in touch with the with the with Republican voters who are likely to vote Democrat because I don't believe those people are watching Fox News. Right, right. With that in mind, do you is there anyone in the in the field right now that has you has you excited? Your uh... for me, it's straight Thunderdome. I want you all to like yeah. figure it out <laughs> and battle it out, and I'll stand outside like uh, <laughs> do that way and see who the winner is. You have your your hometown. Uh, Kamala, Kamala Harris. Harris. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you have any uh, thoughts about her? Do you did you you must have been aware of her maybe longer than than yeah, most Americans. I, I, yeah, that's that's probably true. Uh, I mean, Kamala Harris has a lot of issues in the Bay Area because of her because of her as an attorney general. Mm-hmm. The amount how she approached you know there's a lot of black men in jail because of Kamala Harris. Yeah, and in jail for too long because of Kamala Harris. So I think there's a she's got to address the Bay. It's funny she certainly is a popular figure in the Bay Area. But she's not popular with the most sort of the most uh, progressive people. Yeah. So for me, like I'm not saying that I wouldn't vote for Kamala Harris, but I'm but I, I'm not. I definitely don't want to. I'm not here to stump for anybody right now. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know that I will stump for anybody. I really find voting sort of the team sports of politics to be sort of like sort of depressing. And I think when it comes right down to it, you have to make that decision for yourself who you vote for. And I really don't want to put myself in position. And a lot of this is because of my wife too, where I have to I have to explain the sins of another person uh, because I'm their uh, surrogate. I don't want to be anybody's mm-hmm. surrogate. I really yeah. find that to be that's what has kept me out of like really like endorsing anybody a lot of times, like because I don't want to be I don't want to have. But what about the time they said I, I got yeah. I got enough problems explaining things I said. <laughs> so I mean I'm ha- you know certainly. I would I will like if it's Trump versus candidate X I will go for candidate X uh but I'm not I'm not I, I want the, everybody's got to get better and stronger and the thing I'm excited about this time is that I believe it's going to be a true primary where where the sort of the most tested person comes through it as opposed to last time where it was really like like I said, Hillary, Bernie didn't take himself seriously until he got into it. And then there's a bunch of people who who are so anonymous we wouldn't recognize them if they walked in this room right now. You know, are you Lincoln Chafee or the other guy? You know, so I think that for me, 
I'm more interested in the Thunderdome and just sort of like I want to see you guys get tested and also see people get pulled further to the left who maybe at this point aren't that far are sort of like the anybody who's running for some moderate position. I'm just like I have no interest in that. That <laughs> I can say 100. percent So yeah. like the for me it's exciting to think like that like because we're so early. Like it could be maybe it's maybe it's Joe Biden. You know, <laughs> I'm just, mm-hmm. I mean that that Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, but it's also so early that it could be Julian Castro. Yeah, you just, it, we just don't know. We just don't know. And I mean, we're like, it would be crazy. It can't be Pete Buttigieg. It, that would be, which I keep pr- trying to pr- that's, uh, pr- that's, that's very good. I just ran through it. I was going <laughs> to put it I had to acknowledge it. It could be him. But that would be crazy if it was him. But it was like, it was crazy when it was Obama. Yeah. It was crazy when it was Trump. It was crazy when it was Reagan kids who were old enough to yeah. don't remember you that. You can't say that'll never happen. Yeah, you can't say that'll never happen. So I'm happy to see what happens. But mm. I also think that like, I hope there's still more people who enter. I hope people get more because they, they, I hope more people enter the race. And I do. The one thing I will say, I'm more excited about newer voices than established voices. I don't like yeah. people who I feel like are running for president out of spite. Mm. <laughs> uh, so one other thing I wanted to talk about uh, is uh, your your late great show, Totally Biased, which I was a big <laughs> fr- uh, fan of. You were the one. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that, it was on, uh, ran for a little more than a year, yep. uh, 2012 to 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you think about that time now, um, you know, now that you're removed from it a bit, um, and you have this, this new show, which, which has, has done so well, um, do you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Are there things that, that you think you would you would change if you could go back and do it again? Oh, yeah, or? I would change a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing I would change, which is impossible to change, I would have served a tenure at John Stewart University. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I'm very, like, if you look at the people who are doing well with those kinds of shows right now, many of them are graduates of John Stewart University. Yeah. And so for me, I went in there pretty cold. I went to Chris Rock Night School, mm-hmm. uh, which was not, you know, it's, <laughs> but which was great. But it's just, I think Chris would even agree that, like, if they had said, if, if, if Fox, if FX had said, you have a show, uh, we're gonna launch it in a year, but we've gotten you an internship with the Daily Show. I'd have been like, I would have been like, great. <laughs> like I yeah. think going back, that's I needed. I needed more experience seeing how that worked up close, so that I could have better knowledge of how to make it work for me. So I think I was so green, and that's clear from when you watch. I think I think it lives better in people's memories than it does if you pull up the clips a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But I think I was very green and learning on the job in a way that like 
you know, John Oliver had to learn how to helm a show. We didn't, ha- he didn't have to learn how to be on a show, you know. So right. I was learning how to be on the show and helm a show. Uh, you know, Sam B is the same thing. Trevor Noah even got to spend a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Minaj. Like there's just all this evidence of people like, oh, that's the that was the way to get there. Um, so yeah, I would do that differently. Despite some of the people you just mentioned, I mean, there is still this uh, this major lack of diversity on on late night TV, especially on the on the networks and sort of the bigger shows. Um, and you know, in the time since since your show, you know, we saw uh, Larry Wilmore's show get canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, several uh, female fronted shows, Michelle Wolf, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Thede, um, You know. Is Arsenio that... Hall got canceled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was another one. <laughs> is that uh, is that disheartening for you to see that that kind of stuff? I mean, what what do you what Robin do you think's Thede's going on? Is disheartening just because I don't know what BET expected to happen with that show. They'd never done a yeah. show like that before, so it seems to me you could have just kept it on forever, kind of, and yeah. not and just sort of because it's going to get better as it goes, and she's going to find her voice. So that one is kind of like you could just let that show stay on and let it find its way. I think it's proven that when, she, like, remember when Trevor Noah first had this show? I mean, there's still people who haven't taken to Trevor Noah, but he's also found a new audience who's like didn't watch it before of the streaming. But he's he's grown a lot in that role. He's grown a lot because Comedy Central knew that it was an investment. They they weren't going to pull the new host of The Daily Show three months in, yeah, or a year in even. They were like, this we have to sort of let this lie, and so they did. And so Trevor Noah got a lot, Trevor Noah got more comfortable. He was already comfortable on TV, but he got more comfortable as the host. Of of the daily mm-hmm. show and like even now like one of the big things that trends on that show is when he the between the scenes segments mm-hmm. i mean that's something john john stewart didn't do so i think giving people talented people a chance is how talented people find there is how talented people make good things so michelle wolf you know didn't have much of a chance because i mean you know it wasn't around long enough for her to get comfortable in it and to you, if people feel like it, the minute you make a mistake you're going to pull them then they're going to make more mistakes they're not they're not going to take big chances so but i also just think that the the reason why i think i wouldn't want to have a show like totally buys again is cuz i hate the fact that there's this thing called late night tv yeah. that the moment you do one of those they start comparing you to every other late night tv host like when mm-hmm. i had totally biased i'd read articles where it was like the new finally the new host in late night tv and there'd be like a triptych of like me you know, like uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy <laughs> Kimmel, David Letterman. You know, like, like yeah. what is that? I'm not doing any of those things. And yeah. so for me, like I think about why it's has problem areas. Is that a late night show? I don't think so. But it's sort of, he's sort of doing some of those things, mm-hmm. but it's just on, it's just on HBO. It's just an yeah. HBO show. I think that format of late night show, especially in this era when people don't watch things at the same time, mm-hmm. is in some sense just a tired format to think of. I don't think John Oliver thinks of his show as a late night show. He thinks of it as the John Oliver show. And I yeah. think that like but again he's at HBO. You know, I think that like when we get I mean, even Conan is trying to figure out like, you know, yeah, it's how, changing how do, things up. Because yeah. it's just that format is just like even the shows that are doing well, the things it's funny, I mean, people have talked about this. The things that Jimmy Fallon does well are not the things that late night talk show hosts traditionally have done well. Mm-hmm. Like he does like he's not a long form interview guy, he's not a monologue guy. So I think that I think that format of late night TV is just a tired format. And so I get really sad for people when they when comics break through and they immediately get them a late night talk show. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like for lack of a better idea. And I feel like with Totally Biased, I didn't think of it as a late night talk show, but they, it was on late night. And so it gets mm-hmm. caught up in that conversation. Like, just put it on at six in the afternoon. Like, yeah. like, you know, I think the minute you put it in that box, then people are judging against other things in that box in a way that like Atlanta with Donald Glover is just judged as a TV show. Mm-hmm. So for me, if the minute I was, if I was to go totally bias is back, first of all, F- FX would be like, not so fast, we own all that. And FXX would be like, I don't think we exist anymore. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> they only have Simpsons reruns anymore, right? They lost that to Disney or something. I don't know, yeah. But uh, 
they so the, the minute I would have to be the exhausting nature of being of like having to see myself in those articles with like a mm. new late night talk show. So yeah, just like it makes me feel sad. But uh, but regularly, like I have Dwayne Kennedy, who is on Totally Biased, also works on United Shades of America, and he's regularly trying to get me to bring it back. <laughs> like he because yeah. he he really it's funny. I was like, when that show was over, you ran out of that building like it was on fire, which a lot of us <laughs> did. But he was like, he just, I do see things in the news where I'm like, or well, how would I approach this? What's my take on mm-hmm. this? This season with United Shades, I think we have done a lot more stuff with the graphics to sort of like, sort of push push things in a more comedic direction mm-hmm. than we have in the past. So, And you have stand-up as an outlet for that stuff too, Yeah, that's right? the thing. I, I definitely still, I haven't, I haven't, this is probably my least year of stand-up comedy since I started doing stand-up just because of other things. But stand-up comedy is, is my outlet for that, for those things. I mean, the thing I also, late night is so, I remember being frustrated by Totally Bias was that, you have you do those jokes once and never again. Yeah, and that's such a bummer. <laughs> like, like the, the best thing about stand-up comedy is like the first time you do it, it's like, oh well, this we got two years to make this better. Coming up, W. Kamau Bell tells me why, unlike most comics, he has no problem performing stand-up for politically correct college students. So you've had you've had two uh, stand-up specials on Netflix over the last few years, right? Um, no, the first uh, one the was first on Showtime. One, first one was on Showtime. That was semi-prominent Negro, yep, right? Yep. And then you had Private School Negro on Netflix. Yep, yep. So is there a third? Uh, uh, the Negro the, trilogy. Yeah, is there a third one coming? <laughs> or should we expect twenty uh, twenty? I mean, I think. I mean, I I think I automatically have to make the Negro trilogy now, just because yeah. that's I didn't mean to. Put, like the first one was called Semi Prominent Negro because the name that I picked they didn't like. I don't remember what the name was, but it was like there was all this talk about the name. And so they were saying, well, just pick something from a joke. And I was like, Semi Prominent Negro. And they were like, oh, that looks good on a graphic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I just, the second one, I'm a big fan of the word Negro. I think it just comes down to that. I just like the word Negro a lot. And I like thinking of, my, of myself as a Negro. It's just hard because there's just all these conversations we have to have with racism is just. You know, it's bad right now. We have to have all these people of color. We have to have all these conversations. And unfortunately, we have to have them with white people. <laughs> It'd be easy if we could just have them with each other. There's racism, right? There sure is. Papa, see you later. And I'm not mad at you, white people. Let me be clear. I'm not mad at you. You're not the ones who are here. You're some of the good ones. You're not like the rest. You speak so well. All I'm trying to say is... <laughs> I like you like, hey, that started out as a conflict, but then it hurt my feelings. I know, I know. I learned it from you, Dad. I learned it from you. But yes, yeah, so I think I'll have to do the Negro trilogy. But I like I said, stand-up this year, I've done like two stand-up dates. Mm-hmm. I, I still perform at colleges a lot with my solo show, the W Come Out Bell Curve, ending racism in about an hour. So I still get like performance out of me. But I most I also have a 10-month-old baby. Mm. Um, so whenever I get bummed out about why am I not doing stand-up I'm like because you have three kids and one of them is 10 months old oh yeah that's right that's right that's a good excuse it for not great, getting on stage it's a great <laughs> excuse for a lot of things for not helping friends move uh, but yeah so but I, I so I don't there will be more stand-up but I don't I don't know if it'll even happen in 2020 I don't know when it's gonna happen but I mean it'll I'll definitely do stand-up in 2020 um, how do you feel like uh, you know your your standup has evolved over over that time uh, from the from the first special to the second one and now in, into the future? I, you know, I've really I didn't I never thought of myself as a person who could tell stories or was interesting in telling stories. I I really think of like standup bits as like more story forms now. Like these sort of like mm-hmm. these are the short like like sort of punchy bits that are just sort of like like topical bits are usually like topical news bits, but like all the stuff about my kids are based in stories, and I really like telling long form stories now. In a way that, like, 
in some sense, because I do these uh, college dates, I have more time to do that on stage. It's like I, I have a better time open micing stuff in front of college audiences than I do if I was to go to a comedy club and do like a ten minute set. You know, what do you so you so you like playing at colleges? I've talked to some comics who hate playing at colleges. <laughs> I know this is such a, I, uh, a hot topic. Do you do you, and yeah? I mean, what do you what do you make of that? I mean, you must hear what pe- other people say. Oh, I hate playing colleges. It's just these you know woke kids who won't laugh at anything oh, and. God. Looking around to see who oh, else is boy. laughing. Oh, and is that not your experience? It is my experience, but it's also why college geeks pay more. Mm. Like a comedian named Dan St. Paul, who is, who is a great comedian, he does a lot of private gigs. He's like, they don't pay you more at private gigs because, like, because you're so great. They pay you more because very few people can do those gigs. Mm. So... College gigs, I, I think there was some idea from some p- comedians and also general that college gigs would be more fun because the audiences are younger and hipper and more whatever tuned in. But that's by the nature of college gigs. Any gig that you play where it's a defined clothes off community, it's going to be harder. Like you want to play a wedding reception, <laughs> you know, you know, like that. Like it's they're all drinking, having a good time. They just saw a wedding. No, you don't want to play a wedding reception. You know, any gig where the where the audience of people sort of knows is more knows each other more than they know you and they're not walking in as individuals they're walking in as a group whether it's or what even if you play a one nighter in a small town where everybody in the club kind of knows each other but they don't know the comedian that's a harder gig mm. those just don't pay well as college gigs but so for me it's like first of all in the history of comedy not mo- most comedians couldn't do college gigs that's just the nature of the game it's and and on top of that Colleges are automatically more sensitive areas, even if it's like Oral Roberts University. They're automatically more, because they're all there having their brain stretched and also being lectured every day about how to be in the world. And on the and they might have come from some seminar about like how not about consent or some mm-hmm. seminar about binge drinking. So they're thinking about all this stuff. And then your job is to come in there. And if you're coming in like me, they're bringing me in for a very specific reason. Like we need a black guy to talk about race. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but even if you're just a comic who's coming in for comedy night. They're just more sensitive than your average audience because college is not the real world. It's a, it's like a peach. It's like a gym for your brain to sort of like expand your mind. And so they're, it's not a regular audience. And so for me, when comedians complain about colleges, don't play them. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just, and also, at some point, I'm gonna age out of playing them too. Like at some point, I'm gonna not want to, you know, like when it, because it, this whole, it started with like this thing that like. That Chris Rock, that somebody said Chris Rock said to Seinfeld and Seinfeld, and it was this whole like, well, no, Chris Rock and Seinfeld aren't playing colleges first of all because they can't afford to pay them the money that they would yeah. cost, and, and also it, they're grown ass men yeah. with kids and mortgages, <laughs> like, like you know. And I'm one of those too, but I'm still, I'm still sort of have a thing that that. Now, let me say this: if Chris Rock played a college, he would might do great. But there would also be people who are like, wait, I just saw a thing about that thing that Chris Rock said. It's more trouble than it's worth for those guys. Mm-hmm. But colleges are supposed to be more trouble. They're, that's that's how that's the nature of the game. They're they're not supposed to be more. They're not supposed to be the comedy club is the fun thing. The the colleges are not supposed to be the fun thing for the kids. That's a that's a that's work. And have you had moments in those college gigs where people you could tell they were upset about something or can, you know walked I, out? I, or... I can do you one better. Last night I was in Vegas at the Wynn Casino playing a gig for mass torts, the lawyers who take down corporations. Oh. Yeah. They like comedy too. That's what they said they did. <laughs> <laughs> they thought they did. So I'm doing the bell curve in a ballroom at the, at the Steve Wynn Casino wow. 
for, I don't know, 500 lawyers, all in suits, all who've been sitting in workshops all day oh about mass torts. And these are the, like, they're the liberal lawyers, but they're also the rich liberal lawyers because they're like taking down major corporations. And, and you know, and, and also, and it, like the, so it's, it's also like the head of the bar association is there, the Black Lawyers Guild is there. Like, it's all these sort of like, like we're here to do our thing. And they kind of just wanted to come out to this comedy show and laugh. And I'm talking about structural and, and institutionalized racism. And I got slides and things and da, da, da. And I was about 10 minutes in and it was like not going well. Yeah. And I was like, this could, this might be a disaster. <laughs> like, this may be, this may be one of those gigs where I run out of the room and, but the thing that sucks at the casino, I'm staying in the casino. I can't even get to, you know, there's nowhere to run. And yeah. I can't figure out how to get out because they're built in circles. But and then by and then by, once I had that realization, I sort of talked about it, and and I had and then I by the end I'd gotten enough of them back that they were that they were happy with it, and I took pictures with them. And but for me, it's like that gig was hard. And in the <laughs> and and in the middle of it, things that normally got huge laughs were getting nothing. Yeah, like nobody's right. Re- like maybe a couple people are recognizing the jokes, but they're also in there with their law offices and teams of people. And like if I laugh at that, then what does my boss think or what does my cohort think? It was nearly a disaster. I pulled it through. Now, some people, I heard uh, that there was a table full of uh, white lawyers who 10 minutes in. At the same point, I went, this could be a disaster. They got up and sort of left in a huff, like in an aggressive huff. Like, mm. we're going to let people know we're leaving in a huff because we didn't <laughs> come for this. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know it was Negroes with Opinions Night. <laughs> Maybe the name of my next special, Negro with oh, Opinions. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was like, it, but I also got, but the, the gig paid better than other gigs. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't take the gig just because it paid. It was I do these gigs all the time. So I'm not saying like it it paid enough so I did it, but it was like they mm-hmm. they were paying me to do this gig, and I knew going in like this is probably not going to be the easiest thing. It's not supposed to be easy all the time. Like we're literally in comics engaged in one of the hardest art forms because not only is it like creating art, but it's you're you're trying to control the reaction of the listener at all times, and that's that's easier on a, the easiest place to do that. I think is a Saturday night, at eight o'clock in a comedy club when mm. people have had a day of rest. They didn't go to work. They've had a couple drinks, but they're not trying to get loaded like the late show. And, and they're kind of like, we're just here. to fa- We, we're already having fun. We're not at work. We didn't work today. We're just here. To mm-hmm. laugh. That's the easiest place to do it. The hardest place to do it is any gig where they're flying you in specifically to do a thing that they want you to do. And so for me, when comics complain about those gigs, just don't do them. Like, and, and at some point, you you'll you may find other things to do, but every comic is not promised a career doing colleges, and mm-hmm. not and if you do them, they're not actually comics who do those gigs all the time. will tell you they're not fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just going back to uh, United Shades for a, for a moment, um, is there anything CNN else? Appreciate uh, that. Yeah, is there anything else <laughs> that uh, is coming up um, this this on this new season that you're excited for people to see or that might be surprising or uh... yeah we have an we have an episode we're doing a, we have an episode that's in Jackson Mississippi about uh, w- reproductive justice and reproductive rights and we part of that we film at the last abortion clinic in Mississippi um, and there's and, you know it's a very for what it sounds like it sounds like it could be depressing but I think it's a super like engaging and up and sort of weirdly uplifting episode uh, we have an episode about the Hmong people in St. Paul and Minneapolis, which is like this group of Asian people who came, many of them came from Laos. It's all about the secret war. It's a subject I knew nothing about. The secret war is adjacent to the Vietnam War. And so it's an episode that's like, sort of like, uh, one of the things we do is like, here's something that most Americans know nothing about. <laughs> you know, like, and so it's one of those. And uh, we have a great episode about, uh, that's in Salt Lake City, and it's about 
Mormons and the LGBTQ plus community in Salt Lake City and and where they come together and where they don't and and we it's a very it's it's trying to be a very sensitive sort of look at the Mormon religion because it's easy to make fun of the Mormon religion as we talk about in the episode like they're the one religion you can make fun of and nobody stops you not even Mormons you know you know uh, Matt and Trey Parker as we say in the episode have gotten rich and richer off of making fun of <laughs> <laughs> Mormons so I just said Matt and Trey Parker like they're a couple yeah Matt Stone and Trey Parker. <laughs> But yeah, so that's and there's a you know and we've also got special guests in this season that I'm that people who are like we we're able to like we've been around for four years so like in that episode we have Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons mm-hmm. in it in the DC episode we have April Ryan who's the White House reporter and we have Henry Rollins in that episode uh, so we've been able to reach out and also I bring my friends in like Pastor Michael McBride is in the Mega Church episode that's a good one about the about mega churches and and money. And then uh, in the Seattle Tacoma episode, my friend Alicia Garza, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, is in it. Which for me is just like people talk about Black Lives Matter on CNN all the time, and mm-hmm. you know it's sort of a talking point. And just to be able to go, I'm going to put one of the co-founders yeah. on the network to speak freely, which very rarely happens. I'm yeah, that's awesome. About, yeah, um, I mean these are a lot of uh, a lot of dark topics that you that you cover on the show, or things that can be can be more uh, depressing in some ways. How do you have there been ones that you just said like? I don't know how how we're going to make this one funny. I mean, I, I say that all the time on the way in. I don't know. But it's like I find that once you get there and start working with the thing, it's really about people's level of comfortability. So the minute I get there, like with the Hmong episode, what I was told is that it's a very private community. They sort of like don't want they don't want to they, they don't want to talk to outsiders about what they've been through. So I was nervous, like, how are we going to get anything from these people? Not to just make funny, but just to make a good hour of TV. Mm-hmm. But what I it's funny, I forget this about myself as again. I'm a good listener. I'm not going to talk over you. And I think if you approach things as like wide open and just sort of curious, and also I think there's enough evidence of me in the world now that people can look and see that I, I'm not trying to, I think the sick episode last year did a real good reason, a good way of showing like we can cover a community that, that we, that I as the watcher, as the host know nothing about and do it in a sensitive way. So, I mean, yeah, I, th- I didn't know that where we would find the humor in that one. And then one of the best things of the season is this man who talks about growing up in the like his how his how during the secret war his family just escaped to the jungles of Laos and how as a seven year old he was like climbing trees and would hold and like hold onto trees for hours at a time while he was hunting pigeons from trees and like you know having to make his own bow and arrow and he was hilarious like he just told the story like <laughs> the way anybody it's like he told it the way anybody tells the story about when I was a kid we walked up both hills yeah, with, yeah. With the, walked <laughs> in snow both ways uphill both ways like he was very comfortable telling his story and so his comfortability and his humor around it led me to be comfortable around it so you know I think humor always helps you tell a story better and it's certainly People forget that it's a natural human reaction that in the middle of sad things to look for humor. Mm-hmm. It, ju- it just is. So the show has proven that over and over again. And so in the Salt Lake City episode, there's some really intense stuff about how the Mormon religion, LD- the LDS church, really like pushes people away. And there's like a high suicide rate and all these things. But in there, there's these moments of light that come through that are pretty amazing. So before we wrap up, uh, what I like to do is kind of go through um, a few highlights uh, from your career that we didn't get to talk about um, and see if you can just pull out one memory or one story that comes first thing that kind of comes to mind. Um, so to start, uh, can you can you talk about the first time you got on stage to do stand up? <laughs> it was in uh, Chicago, Illinois at a place called the No Exit Cafe and uh, I had to do five minutes and uh, I, I remember just trying to make sure I did the five minutes. Like, that was the big thing. Like, how are you going to be on stage for five minutes? <laughs> uh, there is not one joke from that night that I told ever told again after weeks and weeks of writing jokes down in a notebook. 
And I just, there was not, there was like literally, <laughs> the, and the thing that happened, I came off stage and people go, you have really good stage presence, which I later was learned was a way of saying, you didn't have one joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't laugh, but. Uh, you know, you, you yeah. stood on stage, they were literally saying, you stood on stage for five minutes. Good for you. <laughs> like, you know, but, so I didn't have, I, it took me a long time to learn how to write jokes. I would just yammer. Um, I imagine that a lot of people may have heard you for the first time on This American Life. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn uh, from that experience working with uh, with Ira Glass and the and the This American Life team? Well, first of all, it's funny. It was one of the first episodes that Ira Glass didn't host himself. Oh. So I didn't. I, he was in the office, and I got to talk to him for a little bit, and mm-hmm. that was nice. But I was like, oh, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I come on the guest host week, which was fine. But I re- the thing I learned about that is that everything has a format and a way it's done. So mm-hmm. I learned that week, like you sort of go, I'm going to do this. And they they would be like, that's not, we don't actually, <laughs> but I'm going to. And so when I listen to it, I can hear myself doing a This American Life version of my story, mm-hmm. which at first I was like a little bit bummed out about, but then I realized, no, this is how their listeners need to hear it. So, yeah. and what the feedback I got was like their listeners reacted to it in a very like sort of strong and positive way, which they probably wouldn't have if I'd been on there. Look here, white people. Mm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. a, and I'm really proud of the fact that we got that great segment on there with uh, with uh, Cliff Means, who did speak very directly to white privilege and white, what white people weren't doing in a way that I felt like this is not something you hear on This American mm, Life, yeah. really. So I felt like there's stuff in there that was like, I think they've done, they've done a lot more race stuff now. I just listened to a piece by Jelani Cobb, but... I felt like at that point I was like sort of breaking some ground. Um, this is something that we talked a little bit about um, a, a little while back, uh, but I'm I'm curious to know what what sort of the first thing that comes to mind when you think about your trip to to Kenya with Anthony Bourdain, which was one of uh, the the final episodes that of his show that aired. I mean, I, the thing that comes to mind is I learned so much in that eleven days with him and his crew that I'm like that. La- looking back, I was like I would have paid to do that like you know it's again it's mm-hmm. that internship thing if i'd known what i was gonna get out of it and they said it's gonna cost you ten thousand dollars to do this i'd have been like if i'd know i was like mm-hmm. oh, honey i think we got to do this yeah. and she would like let's put, figure it out I, I mean i learned so much about tv production about the way they do it versus the way we were doing it we do it on the united shades of america and on top of that i like feel really fortunate that i got that time with him because like he, as as people have told me who knew, was like, yeah, he really liked you. Like we were becoming friends, mm-hmm. and not knowing what was going to happen, I'm glad that it very easily couldn't have could have worked out that I didn't go to Kenya, or that we couldn't figure it out, or he wasn't interested. So that time has become super crystallized in my head. I thought about it a lot because we had a lot of good time. Like we filmed the show, and then every night after the show, we'd hang out in, mm-hmm. in the hotel restaurant and and hang out and just talk and talked about all sorts of things, him and the crew and me. And so it was like, that time is really crystallizing my head because after he passed away, it was just like, I really have gone through it a lot. So yeah, he's, he's one of, he's one of the greatest. And the last one I want to touch on, uh, just because it kind of came out of nowhere when I was watching the movie, uh, Sorry to Bother You, <laughs> your, your cameo. How Boom. did that happen? That is what I, I had a good, last year I had a good 20, <laughs> the world did not have a good 2018, but I had a good 2018. Uh, so I, I've known Boots for years. Yeah, Boots, Boots Riley. Riley. He sent me an early screenplay draft of that movie like six, seven years ago. And I read it like, it's good, but how are you going to pull this off? <laughs> so I mean, I literally was like, you know, I don't know how this happens. And so and I knew him enough to know all the permutations that went through. At one point, he wasn't directing it. And mm-hmm. so then he was directing it. At one point, he was going to star in it. And it, so I got to sort of be have a little bit of an insider view of how it all came together. But the funny thing about that is that I was at home one morning. I had a gig that night. I was going to open for The Roots at the Fox Theater in Oakland. And I got a call from my friend Nato Green, who, who was a writer on Totally Biased and who lives in San Francisco. He's like, uh, can you come do a part in Boots' movie? 
was like, when? He's like, now. <laughs> and so I turned to my wife and was like, can I go do a part in Boots' movie? She knows Boots. She's like, yeah, okay. And so I went down there and didn't know what. We were looking at a fake. It's like thing where you're not looking at the real thing. Mm-hmm. I got to meet Tessa Thompson. Uh, I got to meet Steven Yuen. You know, so I got to see some people. Uh, got to hang out with some extras. I was there for two hours and like said my one line and didn't feel like I felt like I don't even know what I'm saying. Or, I'm not. <laughs> and I, I don't think of myself as an actor at all. I'm like, God, mm-hmm. I hope I don't ruin Boots' movie. And sort of forgot about it until there started being advanced screenings of it, and people started like saying, "I saw you in the movie." And yeah. I was like, "It has given me so much Oakland cred. I'm yeah. super excited about it because that is like Oakland's movie right now, and it, it has really given is. me so much." I feel like I'm now officially from Oakland because I wasn't sorry to bother you. <laughs> and finally, uh, we'll end with uh, what is what's the last thing that made you laugh really hard? Uh, could be something on TV, something in your life, uh, just anything. First thing that comes to mind that, that that made you laugh. The last thing that made me laugh really hard. Uh, I mean, I laugh all the time, and people talk about my laugh all the time. So <laughs> I, I, I'm a really easy laugh, and I laugh at inappropriate times. I'm trying to think of the last thing that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my my daughters, uh, my two oldest daughters, because I have three daughters now, I have to remember. Um, so my seven year old, my four year old, like Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. Like they started, like my seven year old started watching it with my wife Melissa, and then the four year old started watching it, and now they love it, and they watch the same episode over and over again. And there's a scene in Queer Eye from the new season where it's about this guy who's about to have a baby, or his wife's about to have a baby, and his house is a disaster. And they, when they're going through his house, they find a sam- like a samurai sword, just sort of, like it's not really a samurai sword, but it was a, a sword, just sort of mm-hmm. like on the like this huge, like the kind of thing a, a dude buys, yeah. who's single, that he's gonna, <laughs> a sword, and it's just sort of sitting in the closet. And in the episode, they make a big deal about how this sword is just hanging out here. And then later, Juno was like, she will recap the episodes, mm-hmm. and she was like, and there was a samurai sword just chilling out in the room, <laughs> <laughs> and just a four year old saying just samurai sword and just chilling in one sentence. Yeah, it just made me laugh until I cried. Because it was just like the, and she just the way she said it, like she couldn't believe it, even though you don't even know what a samurai sword is. Yeah, you didn't. What is just he didn't say chilling. Where are you getting the word chilling from? <laughs> I don't. Nobody. We don't say chilling like that. We haven't. You know. And there's a samurai sword just chilling, and she was so confused about why it was just chilling, <laughs> and it just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. My kids make me laugh a lot. Yeah, and they know they make me laugh, so they try. They try. They try to make me laugh. That's great. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming and doing the show today. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much to W. Kamau Bell for making the trek down to L.A. to be on today's show. You can watch United Shades of America every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on CNN and find his tour dates at wkamaubell.com. And we'll put a link to buy his book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, in the description for this podcast as well. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith for Starburns Audio and Scott Porch for Himalaya Media. And this episode was engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.